0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. You know, one of my favorite childhood movies was uh, Karate Kid. I I remember... That one summer, uh, when I was about ten years old, my mother brought me and a few of my good friends to to watch this movie, and um, she brought her special movie purse. Did you guys know what I'm talking about? About a. 10 bags of popcorn, you know, a whole six-pack of, of drinks and, and all the candy you could ever have. You, you guys know that first right? You know, you're walking into the theater and you're all embarrassed. And then we sit down and watch the, the movie, your mom's like, here you go. And your face just lights up and you're, you're so happy she brought it. And, and so, anyway, th- this movie, though, this movie, Karate Kid, it did something to me. At 10 years old, I think it did something to 10-year-olds all over the nation. Kids were enrolling in karate, taekwondo, jujitsu, any kind of martial arts you could think of. They just wanted to, and, and not so much because you know th- they were really intent on waxing cars or, or, or sanding floors or painting fences even, but they just wanted to know, how did Daniel LaRusso do that crane technique? <laughs> all, all of you who aren't familiar, if you're too young, it, it's, a, it's a technique that looked like this. <laughs> you know, and at the climax, you know, how did he do that? I want to do that too. That, that, that was, that, oh, that, that was a, a great moment in that, that movie. And all you parents that haven't shown your kids this masterful classic, Shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) However, all all the cool fighting and awkward moments and the Mr. Miyagi one-liners and all those things, um, the, the catch of this movie was this: that this old man from Okinawa saw this wimpy little kid getting beat up by the high school bullies and turned him into a champion. You know, don't you feel like you would like somebody to see you in that moment and when when you 're at your weakest to really come into your life and and make you the best that you could ever be Have you ever do you remember the the first day of of work you know all of you who are working professionals or even if you have a summer job if it 's your first job, you have the you have these butterflies going in your stomach. You're like, I, I don't know what to do. This is my first time. anything that I studied, you know, all the things my mom and dad taught me and my professors and everything taught me. It comes into this moment, and you're really nervous. And, and you want that that leader or that boss to, to come, take you under their wings so, so that you could learn. And they, they overlook your flaws and, and whatnot so you could just learn. Do you have that moment? Or how about your spiritual life, in your workplaces, with your peers. You, you know you have that desire to, to share the gospel. You're, you know that God's moving in you and, and you just want to share this with other people. But there's a little voice in you saying, you know what, I, I just need to read my Bible a little more before I could do this. You know what? I, I just need to pray a little more bef- before I can do this, bef- before I can share and, and be qualified to do this. Or, or I need to be more confident. I, I need to speak more eloquently. I need to, I need to, I need to. We think of every excuse to not do that. So we look at this and we look at the Bible What kind of people does Jesus call to follow him? What does it take to be good enough? You know, um, I think the gospel writers, as we get into the the word today, I think the gospel writers intended their writings to be told and heard as stories. Because when you read it, it's just a wonderful story when, when you read the gospels. And Today we're going to read a passage together, or I'll, I'll tell you a story. And the passage comes from uh, Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. So let's see if we can find some answers to see what kind of people God calls. So I'm not going to read it verse by verse or anything, but I'm going to tell you the story. You could follow along, or you could just sit back and grab another coffee, cup of coffee and, and just listen to what the story says. Now it happened one day and the people were pressing in on him at the lake of Gennesaret. Imagine with me this crowd they're just coming in and surrounding this this man. There's a rustle there's, there's there's pushing, there's they're shoving, they're the shorter people kind of tiptoeing, looking to see what's going on. And, and this whole crowd was coming in to listen to this one man. You see, when we follow in Luke's account, there, this, there are things that happened. People heard that this man can heal the sick. This man could cast out demons This man could do amazing things. He speaks with such authority. This man, there's something different about this man named Jesus. And people wanted to see him. If you heard of a person like that, wouldn't you want to see him? Wouldn't you want to hear him up close and, and see what he had to say? The word was out. People wanted to listen to him. And so Jesus stood there by the lake, looking at the people. He stood at the lake of Gennesaret, calm, collected, confident. He had purpose in his stance. Like a leader looking at a big crowd or a big messy situation, just looking and assessing everything. Calm, collected. You know, this region called the Lake of Gennesaret, if you follow in Luke, um, it is also known as the Sea of Galilee. Um, the other gospel writers, like uh, specifically Matthew and Mark, they, they write about the same instance in, in the gospels of the calling of the first disciples. But they use the Sea of Galilee. So this is one thing that Luke likes to do. He likes to call attention to detail. And when we look at the lake at Gennesaret and the lake or the region of Gennesaret, it was well known to people, especially people in Bible days when they see Gennesaret. What was known about Lake Gennesaret was it was known for its fertile land. Everything can grow here. Like the soil was perfect. The the climate conditions were just right. The the, the way the mountains like were in the back of the valley probably provided the right amount of sunshine and the right amount of shade and the the everything was perfect their scholars said if if you could plant it it will grow and that's how fertile this lake of gennesaret was or this region of gennesaret so if you could follow me in the author's thinking you know what, there's a purpose to that 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 something great is about to happen as Jesus stood at the lake of gennesaret and as he stood he just looked at this crowd and you would think that that with this crowd that all of his attention and everything of him would be to this crowd but he notices two boats in the distance Fishermen just came in from a long night of work. They're just uh, packing up, ready to go home, maybe see their wives and kids. And, and they're, they're taking all this debris out of the net. Because imagine a, f- a fishing net going into this big lake or sea. It's going to pick up all this debris, maybe a, a lost shoe or a lost shirt or, or some kind of seaweeds or whatnot. So they're cleaning all of this up from the net, and the fishermen just wanted to leave. They're tired. They just wanted to go home. But Jesus walks over and steps into the boat. But it wasn't any boat. It was Simon's boat. Simon, known as a leader, he was probably the captain, captain of the ship. He was a fisherman. Tough, hardworking, gruff. If you could feel his hands, they were probably rough, calloused chaffed if you imagine a fisherman day in day out just reeling in the nets with the hard rope and and they just have all these types of burns they probably don't have the high-tech gloves that we have today to protect them from that so they're just reeling in so these guys were tough the leather hands the they're men's men they're fishermen but even though they're tough and strong they were probably also pretty patient. If you go out in the sea for eight hours a night, and maybe you catch one fish or no fish, and you come home, you can't sell anything to the market, so you can't bring money home to feed the family, and, and then after a failure of a night, they do this again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So they had to be somewhat patient. So it isn't a big surprise when Jesus steps on the boat and there wasn't much pushback. Okay, it's not the worst thing that could happen. And Jesus asks him, why don't you put out a little bit from the shore? Of course, it makes sense. All the people are gathered there, come down to the shore, he could speak to them. Now, when Jesus finished speaking, he, told, he turned to Simon and, and told him to go out to the depths of the water and lay down your nuts. What? Are you kidding me? D- didn't you just see us? We, we worked all night. We came in. We were cleaning our nets. We're ready to go home. We thought we could hear you speak and pull back to the shore and just go home. And now you're telling us to go out to the, back out in the lake? But remember, these men were patient. They're patient. This, this carpenter said, go out to the deep and put down your nets. Might have been offensive to fishermen. But if we look at the story of Simon, if we look a couple chapters earlier in the account of Luke, um, it says that Simon's mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus had come. And the whole household was there. It didn't specifically say Simon, but I would suspect that he was there. And Jesus healed his sick mother-in-law. So there's some credibility there. So even though he's frustrated and didn't want to do so This, you know, he decided to listen. And he went out. And he said something. And he called him master. Usually when you see some great teacher back then, you call him rabbi or good teacher or, you know, a good man or whatnot. But Simon uses master. So there was some kind of authority that he's giving to him. And he said, master master. We didn't catch anything all night long. You saw our empty nets. But because you said so, we will go. Even though it went against all fishing conventional wisdom, the water's probably hot at this time. You know, the fish aren't going to bite, but still. Still. He said, we'll do it. We'll do it. So Simon turns back and tells his crew to let down the nets again. Perhaps there was some grumbling. Simon, are, are you nuts? You just saw what we did. We want to go home. But, but Simon, the leader, says, no. L- l- let's do this for a master over here. let's do this for Jesus. He spoke some powerful words today, so let's listen to him. Let's listen to him. So they did that. They pulled down the depths, they put down this net, and they couldn't believe what happened. There was such a, a large catch of fish that, that these men in this one boat, they couldn't pull it in. There was too much fish. I mean, imagine that these big, gruff men who, who know what a big catch is, and, and they probably have a procedure to, all, to do this w- with this big catch of fish, but they couldn't do it. it was, there was so much fish that they had to call to the other boats and call them to come help us. We cannot do this by ourselves. And then the other boat came, and they filled up both boats, and, and the boat started to sink because there was so much fish. And do you know what the first thing that Simon did? His reaction was, depart from me, for I am a sinner, Lord. Depart from me, for I am a sinner, Lord. I am a sinful man. The fisherman, the professional, is now on his knees before a carpenter. Because of this miraculous thing that was just done. The things of his past were probably at the forefront of his mind. Sin after sin. And and like anything, if if you put dirtiness in, in front of like something clean or a white sheet of paper or a great light, you're just gonna see everything. And here Simon, Simon Peter saw his sin. He saw everything. Everyone in the boats saw what just happened. And they were in awe. Jaw-dropping awe. And there also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. When Simon Peter's world was turned upside down, he trembled at the feet of Jesus. Guess what? The two boatfuls of fish, they were no longer relevant in the story. Luke doesn't mention it again. Simon Peter knew that he was something other than he thought he was. He was a sinner, a nobody. And I could just imagine Jesus seeing. Simon Peter, trembling down on the ground, on his knees. I could see Jesus saying, Do not be afraid. Peter, it's okay. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And Peter and the rest of his crew They got up, left their nets, and guess what? They left the fish too. And they followed him. So what kind of people does Jesus call to follow him? Jesus calls sinners. He calls it imperfect. Jesus calls sinners who are teachable who are repentant and who are willing to let go. You know, I feel like this world has has gotten so PC that I don't know if saying PC is PC anymore. <laughs> it, it, it just, it's just so complicated in that. So when I, when I say sinner, when I refer to sinner, that, that's you and me. We're sinners. Get used to it. We're sinners. We sin every day. Jesus calls sinners who are teachable. You know, for verse 3 is the only verse that shows Jesus asking Peter to do something. Jesus will make a request in your life that will require your obedience. Jesus knows your life and, and will seek you out and, and will ask for you to let him in. Remember the question that he asked? Hey, can I get on your boat? Jesus will ask that in your life. Allow Jesus to make those those changes and, and adjustments in your, in your life through your obedience, through through keeping a teachable heart, a hungry heart. It will usually just start out with one small request. Pay, a pen, pay attention to the small things in your life. His instructions might be strange, like tossing out a net. But pay attention. He might be doing something bigger in your life. Jesus sought out Peter and the routine of his life and asked him to go out, you know I think uh what Luke also did in this this uh, this story was he started this whole se- section with this uh, greek Greek verb um, and it 's a powerful Greek verb that a, a lot of authors use this word to begin like a section because uh, the Greek verb translated says. So it happened, or to happen, it is to be. And, and so whenever this word is used, the readers back then who know a little Greek, they would, they would know that, oh, this is important, what's going to follow. And then Luke, being Luke, he's the only one who used the word, and, and he puts this other, other word after it. No one else uses the word that he does in, in the Gospel of Luke. And the other accounts too, even in the whole New Testament. So Luke uses this, and so your attention just zeroes in and zones in on what's happening next. So now it happened. He's laying out the whole land for, the whole foundation for what's to happen. So he wanted people to know that Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows what's going to happen in your lives. You know, I... I love playing electric guitar, um, but I'm not very good. Um, but there's this friend of mine who's, who's really, really, really good. He's probably close to professional level guitarist. And, and I, I just remember one day playing with him, just jamming along with him for a little bit. And, and he was just watching me struggle through riffs or whatnot. And he says, hey, can I teach you something? I said, sure. So he teaches me something, and, and, and it just opened my world. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. <laughs> so so I, I would play, I'll use these things every now and then, and then I would ask him for more things. Or if it's not a musical instrument or golf or anything like that, you know, how many leaders in our workplace do we have at Harvest? I'm pretty sure that we have quite a few with people working under you or you work for another corporation. And when you look at a resume... Or when you hear people, the things you don 't want to hear is "I am unteachable. <laughs> I am really, really, really stubborn, and you know what? I will walk out if if you go against my word. you know so these are kind of like the red flag things you don 't want to say to to a boss or something that you don 't want to hear from from your your staff, so when we come before the God of the universe, who I guarantee is is a good leader, we want to remain teachable. We want to have an open heart to what he's going to do. Pay attention to what God's doing in your life. He wants you to follow what he's doing. How intent are you at listening to God's voice? God wants to use you in his perfect plan. Are you listening? Second point, Jesus calls sinners who are repentant. Talk about a wake up call. After Simon Peter obeyed God, his ship almost sunk. It's like, whoa. I actually believe that this is a key part of this message. Peter's natural response to this miracle was complete humility and repentance. Get away from me, Lord. I'm not worthy. This is the key to following Christ, isn't it? To say, Lord, I'm not worthy. But as you tell me to do, I will do. We are nothing compared to him. cannot possibly think that we know better than what Jesus does. And we see this also, we we could kind of point to this important part because we look in Luke's account again In verse 3, he calls him Simon. Verse 4, he uses Simon again. Verse 5, he uses Simon. Verse 8, when Peter repents, he uses Simon Peter. And then this is the first time he uses Simon Peter or Peter. And then from then on, Jesus renames him Peter. There's a change that happens when we repent. There was a clear change to Simon when he turned to Peter. You know, um, I took a public speaking class back in college. Um, the topic was—it was a how-to-do sermon. You know, so it was just a very instructional sermon, and me being a, a cocky little college guy, I was like, I'm going to write in this series, I did this, uh, I'm going to write on how to get an A on this paper. So that was my topic. So I spent all night, like, writing off, uh, you know, everything that we learned in class. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get an A on this, and I wrote it, and I was all confident and cocky. I'm going, like, oh, this is gonna be awesome. And I sat down in class and I listened to these people give all these like great how-to speeches. You know, it went from like. How to make ramen noodles, to how to ride a bike, to, you know, how to, you know, fix your car or change your oil. So it's all these great instructional speeches. And I just sat there looking at my speech and I was like, Oh Lord, (laughs) this is horrible. And then, and then me being the stupid, prideful college kid, I went up and gave it anyway. And then, and then I thought, Oh, maybe it wasn't that bad. You know, I was pretty confident in saying this. I sat down and after class, uh, the professor came to me and said, Christian, if you want to go with that, you will get an F. <laughs> so, um, here's what I'll do. We have speeches tomorrow too. So why don't you rewrite that if you want to get a, a better grade? <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. So I'll do that. and And so, if I noticed my heart of repentance, I would have changed right there, right? In you another know, instance about the glory of God also in changing, you know, a couple weeks ago, I, I went to Seattle with my wife, and we spent a day just hiking up Mount Rainier on the snow-packed paths and and just looking at Mount Rainier. What a sight. What a view. It's just so big, and we're so small, and I felt Wow, if there was a retreat center right here, it would be beautiful to just see how small you are in God's image. How have you responded to Jesus lately? Have you responded to his holiness? Jesus already revealed himself to us in this passage and possibly in your lives. Are we falling on our knees before him? Or are we passing off his his holiness as, as coincidence? Or something special that just happened in our lives? Are we recognizing? Are we humbly recognizing our own sin? And are we willing to make a change? Third point. Jesus calls sinners who will let go and follow him. Jesus called Peter to follow him only after he was teachable and only after he was repentant and recognized his own sin. This part will always be hard if you don't respond with humility and, and repentance. This is a place in Luke's story, if we look at all good stories, the tension is released. I know that and days pass whenever reaching the story. It's like, oh, the call of the disciples, that's a big thing. Or, oh, the catch of the fish, that's huge. But at this point, when when they let go of everything, the, the story's already resolved. Imagine if if you have a big action movie or let's take the Karate Kid, for instance, at the end. After he defeats Johnny at the end. Oh, you know. And then we see the credits roll, right? Perfect place to end a movie. What if uh, it didn't end there? <laughs> It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes out to have pizza with Pete, you know, his friends and they're filming this whole thing. And then maybe 30 minutes later after he goes home and goes to sleep, they roll the credits. <laughs> that would make an awful, awful, awful movie. So after the point with any good, good author, he ends a section. So we know that repentance is hard. But once we do that, that's where Jesus Wants us to be. And that's where we need to be. You know, I know sometimes, you know, more so, I'm almost 40. And um, looking in the mirror, I'm like, I'm not 20 anymore in the morning. I'm like, I need to style my hair differently so they don't see the bald spots, you know, forming. And, 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 you know, it's just a reality check. So, so before God and before his majesty, see what we have to let go. You know, I have a a friend in, in seminary and he told us of this story. So, uh, uh, something that really impacted me a lot. He was on this missions trip. Um, and he was cocky. Like all seminarians We're all cocky. We're all prideful. Um, so rebuke me every now and then. But, um, you know, he, he was like this young guy going on a missions trip, and, and he, he wanted to win the whole world for Jesus Christ. Beautiful. When, don't we all have that heart? We want to win the whole world to Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I made that step. I'm going to do it for you. And so at the beginning of this trip, the leader put everybody in, in a room on the ship, And gave them each a rock and said, Why don't you all close your eyes and think about the rock that you're holding? Think of the weight, think of the shape, just think of the rock. And now, holding that rock, think of everything in your life that you do besides serving Jesus Christ. Think about everything. That isn't about Jesus, all your belongings, all the things that you love, everything. And put it in that rock. And when you're ready, just let it go. And that's what I want you to do before we continue on this mission trip. And in the beginning, he was really cocky and and really really knew what he was going to do. But in no time, he was weeping. And he was the last one clenching onto this rock. He said, I can't, I can't do this. And Finally, he let it go. His pride, attitude, humility, his future, everything, he let go. Is there something in your heart? Is there something that, that's just there that you're unwilling to let go? I believe that if you're at that point to let go, I believe that you're somewhat teachable. You're teachable. You recognize who God is and and you know the power of repentance and, and you want to follow Christ. But that final stage, guess what? That's the easiest part. Just let go. Let go of everything that entangles you and let go of your old way of life. Let go of the old way you're thinking. Because Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, the all-perfect being, who is all-loving, all-caring, who would not let anything hurt you. He is one who wants to take control. He is one who wants you to let go. Jesus is worth it, don't you think? Hasn't he revealed enough in your life? Just sit down and take a look at your life. See, Lord, where have you worked? And I'm not saying that there are people here who are hurting, and I acknowledge that. And maybe there isn't a point in your life where, where Jesus has done something great in your life. But even you, Jesus wants to move. He wants to show you something special. He wants to show you this, this freedom that he, he has to offer. He wants, to, he wants you to let go of that dark past. He wants you to let go so you could allow him to move in your life. Ask him to open your eyes. This book was written for the people in bondage. This is written for people who are oppressed. This was written for people in society, the 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 Daniel LaRussos of society who 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 are beaten, who are who are just let down. and, And this was written to have the words of Jesus to liberate these people, to set them free, to set you free. All you who feel like you're in bondage. So what type of people does Jesus call? Does he call the perfect? Does he call those who have it all put together? Does he call only those who who have given their life to study the word and, and go into pastoral preaching or care? Does he... Does he only call those who go to missions? No, I think he calls everybody here. Where you are. Jesus calls you in your brokenness. He doesn't call you to be perfect. He wants you he wants you to acknowledge your brokenness and the, your need to want him to come into your life. You know that excuse? I want to wait until I know enough, that's no longer an excuse. Jesus Christ is living, and he will speak for you. He will speak in your lives and and do a great and mighty thing. You know, um, when an artist works, We might see this as just a regular old block. I'm no artist, so I'd see this as like a car. Um, But when an artist sees us, he sees us as something that has potential. He probably has a picture in his mind of uh, a cup or a vase or just something glorious that he could create. Even though this is imperfect, it's not a perfect block, it's not perfect anything, it's just a piece of clay. But when an artist sees this, he wants to work to make it his masterpiece. When Jesus sees you, he doesn't want to see something finished. So artist can't do with can't do anything with something finished. He wants to see you like this. He wants to see you in your brokenness, in your sin, everything, so he could shape you and mold you and make him and make you into his own image. He put down his life on the cross for you so that you could follow him and that you could trust in him. And he worked the greatest miracle of all, didn't he? He came back to life to set us free. That's the God we serve. That's who we give our lives to. Will you let God into your lives and let him change things into our lives as sinners, as imperfect people? Let's pray. Just take some time um, to really look into your hearts. Think about all the things in your life, like my brother with with the rock. Think about all the things that you feel like you have. And maybe you're not called to let go of it now, but just think of everything that, that competes with Jesus Christ. Just think of all those things. Just take a couple of moments to think and pray and ask the Lord to reveal these things to you. And then, if you can, this, this rock or whatever or this glob of something in your mind that has everything that you desire, can you just let it go? And come to Christ. Come to Jesus Christ. As a sinner. As the imperfect person that we are, just come to him. And as Jesus turns Simon to Peter, he wants to change you. He wants to make you even better than you are now. Father, we we come to you. Lord, we bring our, our brokenness to you. Father, we, we bring all of our insecurities, all of the things that we think we know, just everything, Lord, we, we bring it to the cross, we bring it to your feet. Father, we know in our hearts, we, we know because you said so, that we know that you want to work in us. You want to change us day by day so that we will reflect you so clearly that the people we meet, the people we talk to, that they would be able to see you. Jesus, so we ask that you constantly work in our lives.